Hi, it's Maria here, and thanks for joining me for episode six of Talking with Painters, where painters talk about their lives and art. My guest today is Joanna Braithwaite. Joanna grew up in New Zealand, but has been living in Australia for over 16 years. In the last few weeks, she has been named as a finalist in both the Mossman and the Sulman Art Prizes. And over the years, she's been a finalist in many art prizes, including the Archibald and the Portia Geach. Although Joanna's work includes paintings with figures and still life, it's safe to say her predominant theme, and that which she keeps coming back to, is that of animals. From birds, reptiles and fish, to bears, horses, elephants, and particularly dogs, Joanna has expertly captured these creatures in paint. But she doesn't just represent them as we expect to find them in the real world, and she talks about why and how she does that. We also talk about the lengths to which she went to study the anatomy of animals in her early art career, including a trip to an abattoir. We discuss what she's aiming to convey in her work and how humour plays an important role in that. And she also recalls her meeting with famous Australian author Colleen McCulloch when she painted her portrait for the 2014 Archibald Prize. And so you can see what we're talking about. I've posted all the paintings we discuss on talkingwithpainters.com. So just go to the website to have a look at those. I started by asking Joanna where she grew up and what she can remember of her early artistic influences. I grew up mostly in the South Island of New Zealand. My parents actually came from, well I was born in, in Yorkshire in Halifax. They eventually went to New Zealand and um, we ended up living in a small town called Timaru at one point and then we moved to Pleasant Point which was an even smaller rural town which was between Timaru and Mount Cook and so it was really nice because my father throughout his life always liked the idea of being like a lifestyle farmer mm-hmm. so we had a property that had land and you know it was a, it was a really I, I feel like I had a really fortunate upbringing that my parents were really kind of I think my father's quite eccentric and we were allowed to have all sorts of um, different animals and it was well, just, what sort of animals did you have when I was really young and we weren't in Pleasant Point, we, we always had pets, like we always had dogs or cats or whatever. Mm. But when we got to Pleasant Point and we had a few acres, my father wanted to keep pigs, so we had pigs. Mm. We also had a huge enclosure that had every type of um, poultry imaginable. There was guinea fowls, there was ducks, there was chooks, so we had that. Oh, we had goats. So would you feed them every day and that sort of thing? Or? The pigs, and that was fantastic because my father um, managed to get a deal with a restaurant um, and that wasn't that far away, and we used to go and pick up this, probably like so um, um, hygienic, or, you know, councils wouldn't like it now, but we used to pick up these huge tubs from the back of this restaurant and bring them back for the pigs, and there'd be things like, you know, it was the 80s, it was prawn cocktails, and, you know, the pigs <laughs> pigs were really well fed so yeah we'd feed the pigs and we'd have to feed the goats and my friends on the farm would often have those in lambing time they would often have the the pet lambs that didn't have mothers so Mm. we'd often have lambs so you name it and guinea pigs too guinea pigs I had guinea pigs that 
escaped and ran wild and bred like crazy in the hedges. So it was it was it was really cool. Yeah. And so were you did you have freedom just to wander around wherever you wanted to when you were Yeah, shy? when I was um, I was thinking about it the other day, when I was sort of a teenager and my best friend and I we used to sort of imagine that we were artists and we would go on bike rides to the riverbed with our drawing books and you know draw draw because you could see the mountains in the distance so we'd do drawings of the mountains and how old were you when you did that oh probably about 12 13 I think so can you remember when it was that you first decided you wanted to be an artist not really I do remember um, things like when I was quite young I my parents used to go to church a lot and I remember I won an art competition at church and they held up my picture at the front of the church and it was a huge church and I was only about five and I remember feeling so thrilled about that and I'd won this competition but then unfortunately they never gave me a prize (laughs) (laughs) and it's a church I know. I think my mother rang up after about a year of me pestering her, and they gave me a book. Oh, but yeah. So I mean, I think obviously I was making work, and I obviously wanted to show it. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that sort of validation gave you a little bit more of an incentive to continue. Who knows? I don't know. But I do. As time went on, I sort of realised that it was you know something I was compelled to do, and. I just think I was fortunate enough to be able to get into art school because I think if I had stayed in the country high school and not gone on and done art at the other school, I probably wouldn't have got into art school. Was it quite competitive to get into that art school? Yeah, it was Christchurch, Canterbury. There's two art schools at the time in New Zealand, um, two university art schools. So you finished your Bachelor of Fine Arts in Christchurch? Yes. About a year after that, I had my first exhibition. Okay. And do you remember much about that, how that came about? I remember going into a gallery, and I remember, I still remember to my, this day, you had slides back in the day, mm-hmm. and I still remember my hand by shaking, holding the slide <laughs> to um, the director of the gallery, who initially said, um, no, I'll have a think about it, come back and see me in six months. And then she went on to be one of, when I did return, she gave me a show and I ended up sort of showing with her for a long, long time until the earthquake and the gallery Um, had to close when the Christchurch earthquake happened. And with that first exhibition, do you remember what the slides were of? What were the paintings of? They were of birds, I think. Yeah, there was, no, there was birds and there was cattle. But they were very Chagall-like and high-key coloured and expressive. So there was always that sort of desire, I think, to work with animals even then. Even early stage. And have you found every exhibition has had that theme run right through? Um, Not necessarily because there are times when I go away and I, like I often, I try to change and I've done exhibitions of still life and I've done... um, people you know mm-hmm. I, you know it's occasionally I'll do an exhibition that's informed by some excursion I go to like I did um, an, a series on nuns and yes. priests and things and that was inspired by World Youth Day here 
Um, so, but what what was it about World Youth Day that inspired you to go down that track? I just like the idea when a whole lot of people come together, and in that case, it was people from all over the world. Um, you get all these sort of sort of butting up of different cultures and different things happening, mm. and it was particularly interesting with that because I, things surprised me. Like I would see a nun walking along eating an ice cream, and I'd go. Isn't that lovely? And nuns eating an ice cream, and I think, why am I? Of course, a nun can eat an ice cream. What am I thinking? You know, so it's sort of about that sort of thing. It makes you kind of aware of. of do you look position? Do you look for that when you're, um, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, I, so something that strikes you as being, you know, incongruous or. Yeah, I, I like and I like those kind of unusual moments, you mm-hmm. know, and when one thing sort of potentially becomes another or. You know, um, and that happens a lot when animals and people interact as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's, um, I mean, one of the reasons I love to paint animals is I think they say so much about people. You know, it's it's more about so often with my work, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm I'm trying to paint about things about my own experience in being human, things that I I find quite I can't get my head around. So would you then? place an animal in that situation maybe not so deliberately as that but sometimes I think by juxtaposing something from the human world with an animal Mm. or just slightly changing a situation it will be evocative of that thing your painting social climbers has been chosen as a finalist in this year's Sulman prize congratulations thank you uh, that's the seventh time you've been chosen <laughs> as the finalist for this prize. So that's I didn't know quite, that. That's quite an achievement. And coincidentally, the painting is a group of uh, is of a group of seven Dalmatians, which are balancing on top of each other in the form of a pyramid, like a human pyramid. And and this is typical of your work, where where animals in your paintings are often in situations or poses which uh, they would not normally be in the real world. It, they, they might look more human. When did you start exploring painting animals in this way? I just think it was a natural progression. I don't remember um, specifically, but I was always interested in, in dynamics that made would make the paintings kind of convey sometimes a, a, a sadness or sometimes a, a humour or so I just I just researched and I think that you know like I remember way back um, when I wanted to paint I decided I wanted to paint in New Zealand still life you know I'd been to Europe and I'd seen um, Goya's paintings of Spanish still life um, work and I, I'd seen a lot of works that seemed very much of you know Dutch still life Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, I decided I had to force myself to go to an abattoir. And so mm-hmm. I, I didn't even have a car at the time. But I, just, I, got, I got to an abattoir and I, I remember the guy, some of the guys there thought it was hilarious. There was this young girl walking through there taking photos and they were squirting me with a hose. <laughs> uh, and I've, got, I've actually got workbooks that go way back to then. There's photos in there of horrible flayed carcasses and things like that. So it was sort of like, um, I guess, thought processes um, and things like that to feed the work 
were always, even from the start, important to me. But I, I also picked up, at the time I was there, from the scraps, I took back to the studio a head of a, um, it was awful, of a bullock that had been flayed, you know, they pulled the pelt off it. Oh. And I took it back and I made myself paint from it. So I was like, I was trying to kind of get myself wow. that information. I guess I'm getting off the topic, but... But, no, I find that really interesting, actually, that you were driven to to paint from, you know, from life um, and that you were so keen to to capture that that you went to an abattoir and got a, a head of a... What was it of, did you say? It was of a bull. Oh, so you got the head of a bull and you painted it. Yeah. But, I mean, I've continued throughout my whole career to make sure I go out and try to have an experience of the, um, you know, of where where an animal is. I might go to a dog expo or I might go to a poultry farm or I, I recently went actually out to Monica's dog rescue because I think that it's it's that sort of information it's those experiences where you actually experience something or see something, yeah. as I said before, where two things come together and it, it yeah. makes you, you know, that that's, for me is important to, to try to kind of carry into work. Often I think when you're making work, and you would know that too, but you, you kind of, you make moves and paintings evolve and hopefully there's a few there's there's other layers too you know what I mean mm. not, not just I'm not it's not like mm. there's just one message hopefully there's a few things going on there that trigger different responses because definitely and you know that because you talk to people about work and they've read it in a particular way which might not be what you intended but sometimes that's good because it gives you an idea for another work well that's right mm. and also um that's the thing about art that's why art is so rich and it gives us so much it's because because it's able to be interpreted in so many different ways um, and that's the beauty of it I think and um, you've in your current exhibition you have a similar painting with a number of dogs but they're not Dalmatians can you describe that one yes yeah, so that so this this particular painting having done the Dalmatian work I decided you know I quite enjoyed doing that I'd like to do another one but I'd like to do one with um, mixed breeds so I, I called that this new painting working class and basically they're all dogs that I researched that had, you know, at some point, whether it was in the past, but, you know, worked for people like the, at the top there's a rat catcher, there's a cattle dog in there, there's a sort of a husky type dog, so they're all dogs that have performed some sort of function. I mean, I think your relationship with the dogs is an amazing thing, mm. and I think it makes you very aware of time passing too, because a dog's life is so much shorter than a human's, mm. and that's the reason why I often paint dogs too. I like the idea of dealing with time passing, and you know, so sometimes a you know a dog for me can touch on that. The other thing that I find interesting is that. Art students can spend years studying the human form, you know, and the skeleton and, you know, how everything fits together. When you uh, come to paint a new species, like you you, um, did a a show a few years ago called Finders Keepers where you did lizards and reptiles, do you spend a lot of time studying that new form and the skeleton or, or the structure of that animal? 
If I can find it, um, which I could with a lot of the lizards, I go and I draw them and I take photos and I do studies and things like that. So, I mean, I've been drawing animals for years and years Mm. and it's about sort of, for me, I think it's about being able to create the illusion of movement and to know their bodies so that you can actually manipulate them and still allow them to be believable. Well, that's right. I think that's one of the great things about your work is that they are believable and that's what makes them at times poignant because you you believe it is that animal even though they are sort of uh, making a human gesture for example in your current exhibition which is called social animal there is a painting called frozen assets and in this one painting there's a polar bear and a a dog like maybe a husky type of a dog um, perched on a tiny block of ice and they're both staring out to the horizon and, and the viewer can't help but feel worried for them. Um, but this gesture that I'm talking about is is this polar bear is standing next to the dog and it's got one paw in a, like a reassuring gesture towards this dog and, and the other paw is sort of um, in midair in what I interpret as a sort of an anxious gesture uh, and I just think there's so much humanity in that pose. And is that something that you you intend to achieve with that sort of work? Well, that sounds fabulous, and I am pleased <laughs> that, that it, it had that effect. But when I was painting, wanting to paint polar bears, obviously I don't have access to polar bears. Mm. So in these works, I had to watch a lot of YouTube type clips and look at pictures and things like that and I did invent a lot in those works but I did read an article about a polar bear who had befriended a dog and and polar bears are quite ferocious beasts at times and and could easily you know eat a dog if it was starving but this particular polar bear was friendly with the dog and there was images of it sort of playing with it so Mm. I like the idea that there was that companionship in that situation. Mm. But I always feel with my work that, as you say, maybe those sad undercurrents, but also for me, I always feel that there's elements of optimism and I want there to be. And and ultimately, if I could paint, you know, the kind of paintings that I I wanted to paint, I like the idea that that I am a person that, that makes pictures that they're a result of the world in which I'm moving through and that make people ask questions or, or just, you know, think about the same things that I think about because I think they're human things. Well, certainly with, um, you know, these, these paintings of the polar bears on small pieces of ice, you know, the viewer can't help but think about climate change. Do you think in recent times, with, with everybody becoming so much more aware of our you know, environmental responsibilities, that your work's taken up, taken on a more serious tone or that the viewer is, is taking a more serious look at it? Um, I, don't, I don't think I can see it progressively getting more serious, no, because I think there's humour in the work, in the other works in the exhibition. Mm. And um, these, I guess, the choice of, of the animal that I chose to paint you can't deny that when you think of those animals, your mind will be probably, there'll be, you know, things that we've all seen in the paper and, you know, those things come to mind. And I think everybody that's looking at the work is carrying that information in their head anyway. Not, It's not just me, you know, painting a picture 
Yeah, so that's that. that's not your primary. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a res- it, it, it will be a response to all yeah. of that information, mm-hmm. but in the same way that other works, like I've got sloth works in the exhibition, and they've got. Um, They've got glass planters, and for me, I sort of thought about it, and I realised that there's this real sort of hipster resurgence of um, I don't know if it's hipsters, but there's a real resurgence of um, pots, you know, things, terrines, and oh yes, apparently yeah. macrame is coming back. Oh, is it? And things growing in glass oh, globes, little yeah, worlds inside yeah. worlds. I read an article about this man in the UK, and. In, I think it was 1962 he put a plant in this big bottle and then in 1972 he watered it for the last time and put a cork in it and that plant has thrived and is still growing today with no water and sealed inside and he's been kind of contacted by NASA and you know all sorts of people that's amazing and it's still living and so I that fascinated me and I thought I want to paint an image using these vessels and I thought what's what's it about it's about time Mm. and I thought what animal I want to you know I feel like I want to paint an animal with this and of course sloths came into it so it's kind of like that's the sort of thought process behind it and but but as I say animals are often for me a fantastic way of talking about those things that relate Mm. to the human world and so I just wanted to find an animal that related to that so I mean works can come about through any article or source or something that yeah. you see. I just think you've got to keep your eyes open. Yeah, yeah. So you might see something that's unrelated to the animal world and somehow tied in with an animal. Well, you... I don't think it can be avoided. Everything that we do, everywhere you look, from you know kids' toys through to advertising through to mm. to the products that you wear on your clothes, you know, wool, leather. It's I mean, animals, you know, are so much part of our world and the, the multitude of ways in which we interact and use or you know n- nurture them are phenomenal yeah. so yeah it's not hard to draw those comparisons no you're right and in 2014 you were chosen as a finalist for your painting bright spark which is a portrait of colleen mcculloch did you um how did that come about well, I'm, I was actually a major Colleen McCulloch fan. I mean, people would hear me bantering on about, oh, you must read Lo, um, Morgan's Run again, and have you read Thornbirds? I know you, it was a TV series, but, but it's amazing. And I, just, I used to go on and on about Colleen, and then I thought I might try to paint her. So I um, realised that she lived on Norfolk Island. So I had to... I sent her an, an, an email. I found her agent... And she, she said, yeah, you're welcome to come and paint me. I'm a bit decrepit, but, you know, you're welcome. So I um, went to Norfolk Island and went to see her. And, I mean, a, amazing woman, but I, I was just terrified. <laughs> oh, why? Oh, just because, you know, Colleen McCulloch was a super intelligent woman, yeah, super yeah. intelligent. Yeah, I and I been. knew that she just didn't tolerate falls if you know what I mean yeah and and so I went in and I talked to her and I did some sketches of her and you know she she was tough and she she kind of I said something at one point and she sort of questioned me on it and I felt myself searing red with embarrassment and then I just thought well clearly you know you can be pathetic or you can just keep going keep going and I did and and in the end she was she was really nice to me she 
she was in a, her wheelchair, so she didn't. She wasn't moving around very well. But she took me around, showed me artworks that she collected over the years, and um, her library and where she worked. And and know. is that where you got the idea? Because in the painting, there's um, just a high stack of books. She's surrounded by books in the background. Yeah. Is that where you got the idea for um, that? She had some really interesting stories. I mean, she'd actually been an artist herself, mm. and she told me at one point that she'd done a lot of pictures of, um, I know I'm diverging, but I thought it was quite fascinating, of black male nudes. And she oh. said to me that she had done them um, from magazines, but people, she told people she'd met, met these black men at truck stops. <laughs> she was laughing. I don't know if she's having me on. Anyway... And she did illustrations for her Rome series. She did really good drawings. She showed me her drawings. Mm-hmm. But now I've forgotten what your question was. About oh, the books. books. Yeah. Oh, so we had, I asked her what she thought of the, the way the world was going with e-books and what have you. And she sort of said to me that she was sad about that, that there's nothing like a real book, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think that, that a lot of people feel like that anyway. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. she sort of said, you know, that she would always you know think that it was best just to have it an actual book and so I went away and I thought how can I paint this woman you know she's like what can I do and you know she loved her cigarettes she loved mm. to smoke mm. and I mean look I only had this this short meeting with her so mm. I got all that in the meeting so a cigarette had to be included and um books lots yeah. of books books and a lot of the books I put titles of the books that she'd written in and mm. references to Norfolk Island because Norfolk Island have you ever been no it's an amazing place oh is it really interesting place and the history of it too you know the convict history mm. and the settlement and yeah really fascinating mm. so that was an amazing trip and I came back with that kind of so much information in my head yeah I, I, I think it's um good meeting somebody in their own environment isn't it because you get I think also they feel more relaxed in their environment yeah and she had this conservatory room and the whole entire ceiling was these pot plants ferns that sort of hung down mm-hmm. and you know it was just all green and a big marble table and it was just oh, um, wow. and obviously um, the place was called Out Yena and obviously an amazing place for, for entertaining over the years mm. And um, what's it like um, being a finalist in the Archibald, and the Sawman for that matter? Is it? Um... Oh, it's great. It's great to be in those prizes because people see you work. Mm. I mean, you probably saw Social Climbers and mm. here we are. You know, it's, it's nice. Things happen. And that's why I think it's really disappointing for artists when they don't get hung because, it, you know, you know when you do that people will see your work and talk about it. But, I mean... It's a hard thing because I mean you can't always get in, and mm. so. But it's really good, and the Archibald was really fun. I mean, I you know went to a, a, a lunch and yeah, it was good. You get to meet other artists who have been hung and they and their sitters, I suppose. So that's that must be a bit of a buzz. Yeah, it's good yeah, fun. Yeah, and your partner Neil Fraser is also a well-known painter. Do you think having a partner who is also an artist um, amplifies your creativity? Um, I don't know whether it amplifies it. I just know that by living with another painter, you can't have any ears and graces about being a painter. You know, 
you just know you, it, you you're more realistic I'm not saying other artists aren't but you can't you you know you you see the ups and downs we've been together for a long time and we've had so many times when one of us was doing you know a little bit better than the other or you know we never get um holidays really together because you know one of you might be having an exhibition and the other's not or you know you've got to do your research trips and um it's great and we have some really good discussions about painting but we also you know we also have arguments as well about yeah, I suppose like any and, couple yeah and we don't we we keep our making of work really separate mm. like we have separate studios we don't allow each other in unless we feel like we've finished a body of work so apart from apart from the Sulman Prize, which you're included in as a finalist this year, you're also shortlisted in the Mossman Art Prize with a painting called Cold Comfort. So congratulations for that as well. Thank you. Um, and you have your solo show that's at Martin Brown Contemporary in Paddington. Correct. Um, so you're right in the midst of everything at the moment, and. Um, Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Oh, thank you. And it's been great also to see your studio and to see your wonderful paintings before they get taken off to the gallery. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joanna. As always, you can go to talkingwithpainters.com for links to things we talked about in the show. You can also follow us on Facebook, uh, Twitter and Instagram. And thanks to those of you who went to iTunes and left a rating so that other people can find out about the show. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters.